And let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number 1. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and I want to preach on that same exact title, The Beauty, The Beauty of His Blood. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and we'll begin reading here in just a moment. Let's go ahead and stand to our feet out of reverence for the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter number 1, and I would like for you to look with me. If you would please, at verse number 18. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 18. This is truly a beautiful passage of Scripture. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold... From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Father, I pray that you would help me now. Oh, dear God, that you would empty me of myself and fill me with your spirit. Father, I pray that you would accomplish your purpose tonight. And I do ask that if there's anyone here that has never received salvation by grace... Through faith. Lord, that you would make that clear in their hearts this morning. And that they would have the courage and the conviction to be saved this morning. And Father, for we who do know what has redeemed us, may we be reminded of how we should live our lives in light of your Son's blood. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The beauty of His blood. It seems to many to be a rather contradictory statement, for rarely is blood, if ever is blood, a beautiful thing. A child runs across the concrete driveway and stubs her toe. Her knee goes down, grinding into that concrete. She rolls over, grabbing that bruised and cut knee, and out of her mouth come screams. And what is she looking for? When mommy runs over, her very first question is, Mommy, is it bleeding? No, it's not bleeding. Get up. Oh, but if it is, break out the Band-Aids, baby, because we've got an injury on our hands. Blood is not a very beautiful thing. There have been many times where at the sight of blood, perhaps some of you have gotten a bit woozy or even passed out. Stomach begins to loosen a bit and you just don't feel right. 
One way that we can tell whether an injury is severe or whether it's mild is is how much blood the injury inflicts and how much blood seems to be coming from that wound, whether it be pools or whether it be dabs. I can remember a time, and if I have told you this story before, just pretend like I haven't and uh, respond accordingly. But there was a time where I was in my office and I received a phone call from my wife. I picked up the phone and she was frantic in her voice and I could hear her say, come home quick, there's blood everywhere. Emma was just a small child, sort of learning to walk. I ran out of the office, jumped in the vehicle, broke every traffic law to get there, squealing tires. And I was imagining the horror that I was about to see as I bust into the room. And of course, Emma is being held there in mommy's arms. I don't see one drop. When you say blood everywhere to me, certain things happen in here. Emily moved her little lips, and there's all blood between her teeth. And I thought, oh. Come here, precious baby. <laughs> but even that little blood was not a beautiful thing to me because of what it represents. Because of what it represents. When we see blood, it represents injury. When we see blood, it it represents pain. When we see blood, we are reminded, even what the Bible says, that the life of the flesh is, is in the blood. And our blood, whenever we see it, it reminds us of our mortality, that we only have a little bit of time here on this earth. And when injury is inflicted on our bodies, as that liquid life flows from our fingers or from our, our injury, we are reminded that there is going to come a day where that heart that pumps that blood through our veins and gives our flesh life is one day going to cease its activity. And our life will be done here on this earth. And we will face our Lord. We will face our Creator. The one who fashioned us by his hands. The one reason that blood is not a beautiful thing to us is because we know what it represents. But I cannot help myself when I look to verse number 18 to be reminded of something concerning that blood and me. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold. And from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. In other words, when we were redeemed, it wasn't an amount of riches in gold or in silver and precious metal that redeemed us. But instead, the Bible tells us that we were redeemed in verse number 19 with the precious blood of Christ. Oh, and in that sense... In that sense, blood goes from becoming a tragic thing to becoming a beautiful thing. And I see that crimson flow which came from the Lord Jesus Christ and it becomes a beautiful, a precious, a treasured commodity in my heart. Oh, and as we examine the beauty of his blood this morning, there are are four reasons why it should be beautiful to every believer. The first one is this, is because that liquid is precious to us. It is a precious thing, the Bible tells us. But with the precious blood of Christ, 
What makes something precious? Well, one reason that an element is precious is because of its value. Its value, the the purchasing power, so to speak, of what a a stone, a a gem, a a precious metal, or or even um, cold hard cash. Why is it precious? Well, because of its its power of what it can purchase. And and when I'm reminded of what the blood of Jesus Christ can purchase for me, I can't help but respond uh, with this precious loving kindness towards the blood of Jesus Christ. For it was powerful enough to wash away not just part of my sins or a portion of them, but every single stain that lied within me. And our problem is this, is that we have forgotten how stained we are. Oh, we think that it was only uh, those uh, murderers and those thieves and and those adulterers and adulteresses. It was the drunkards that, that his blood was powerful enough to absolve. And we forget the fact that we are dead in our own trespasses and sins. Every single time we miss the mark of what God intends for our lives, we have sinned against God. My heart was stirred in Sunday school this morning as we've been going through Ephesians chapter 4. This may seem an unusual passage to become emotional about to you. The Bible says that we should be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. In that moment, it just washed over me that a lack of Kindness one to another is sin. Why is it sin? Because it misses the mark of what God intends for us to be. And we have become so good at labeling sin as something out there. Something inherently wicked and evil that you can point out and discern for yourself. And we have become blind Blind to the sin that is within us still. As we allow bitterness to grow in us and we don't recognize it as that same vile wretchedness that Christ went to the cross and paid for. And as we slander or as we gossip or as we criticize one another, we forget so quickly that that is just as heinous in the eyes of God as the other things that we criticize all of humanity for taking part in. And I am here to remind you that we are sinners for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when I look to the blood that was not spilled, it was shed. I don't think one drop was in vain, but he shed his blood to pay for our sins. What are you saying? I'm saying that his blood is valuable. Oh, his blood is valuable. Oh, and because of its value, it's It's precious. I love that word precious. Precious, it makes you want to seek after it. It makes you want to cherish it. It makes you want to hold it dear. It makes you want to hold it in in high regard. There's some things that are precious to me and I'm sure you have things that are precious to you. What makes things precious They're valuable. Another thing that makes something precious is 
is the process. The process. I've got a number of things that are precious to me. I have a tongue depressor that is precious to me. You know, laughing at my tongue depressor? That's just how the world is. They laugh at what we hold precious. Don't let me get off on that. So, Pastor Jerry, why on earth would a tongue depressor be precious to you? Well, it's a little bit bigger than your normal tongue depressor for one. So, take that. More tree. We're in the delivery room. After over 24 hours of labor... And Emma is born. For the very first time, I'm a daddy. I hold that little girl for the very first time. And I look into those squinty little scrunched up little eyes. And I realize that this thing of being a daddy is a big deal. They take Emma to wear and to clean her and the Nurse, the anesthesiologist that was working there with the doctor, hands me a tongue depressor. And on it is written the exact name, the exact time, the exact weight, the exact inches. And he didn't give it to mommy, he gave it to me. Right now it's in the top drawer of my dresser, tucked away. Why? Because it's precious. What made it precious? The process that was involved to get it to me. There's another process involved when we talk about the precious gems that are within the earth that are mined out and placed on engagement rings and hung on pendants of necklaces, placed in museums and cherished and valued in extreme ways. Those diamonds, those precious diamonds that are valued for their cut and their clarity and those other seas that I used to know. And there was a process involved for those diamonds to become precious. For at one time they were not precious whatsoever, but instead they were just cold, indifferent, organic matter in the earth. But there was a process that took place. A process of a process of organic matter and a process of pressure and a process of time. And over the years of pressure and time on that organic matter, that diamond was formed and mined out of the earth and polished up and cut and now set and in jewelry and in museums. You see, it was the process that made it precious. And then I think about the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and I imagine what that process was like. For that was not the blood of of man and woman that flowed through his veins, but that was the divine blood of God that was flowing in his veins. Born of a virgin, the sinless lamb of God, he was not infected with the curse of sin in his blood, but instead it was like uh, no other blood that ever flowed through the the veins of man. It was holy and without spot. It was without blemish. It was pure blood. It was precious blood. And when I think about that, that pride, Process that went to the cross and that the scourging that was on his back as his flesh was torn from the frame of his bones and as the blood began to splatter upon the ground, I am reminded that that blood is precious because of the process. Amen. 
Oh, there's beauty in this blood. There's beauty in this blood. Not only is it beautiful because it's precious, and notice also it's beautiful because it's pure. It's pure without blemish and without spot, the verse goes on to tell us in verse number 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Those two words, blemish and spot. Oh, what bring us to this idea of purity within the blood of Jesus Christ. Yes, as I've already told you that that blood was not like the blood of any other man or woman that walked the earth because that was divine blood. And we know that, yes, he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And we see these two words describing the purity of the blood of Jesus Christ, that it has no blemish and that it has no spot. The word blemish emphasizes a physical defect or lack of defect. Throughout the Old Testament, there was a system of sacrifices whereby lambs or bulls would be brought to the temple and sacrificed for the sins of the people. And it was written clearly in the law that those sacrifices should be without spot and, and without blemish. You see, those bringing the sacrifice would not be able to reap the benefit of the meat of those animals or the skin of those animals. And it would be so tempting, I would imagine, to bring the, the least of your flock. The lamb that's already had the broken leg and probably isn't going to make it into the next year. The one who doesn't seem to be digesting very well or growing and there's no fatness to it. A, a, a one with a physical issue that its, its fur, its skin seems to be maimed and, and not developing and, and there's a blemish, there's, there's a problem there physically and the Bible tells those saints of the Old Testament that when they bring their sacrifice, they cannot bring the least of what they have, but they must bring their best. When God sent His only begotten he did not call some delinquent angel. He sent his best. He sent himself robed in flesh. He sent the only one that could make a sacrifice for the sins of the world. He sent the one who had the blood that was without blemish. It, it, it represents the fact that God gave his absolute best. But the next word, that there is not just no blemish, but there is also a no spot, which emphasizes the moral defect. The fact that there was no moral defect in Jesus Hold, oh, we see this word, no spot, also show up in the book of James, referring to this moral defect that we should keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And we will revisit this again this evening, Lord willing. But we have a real problem of being spotted by the world. We have a problem of, of having the world create a greater impact on us than we on the world. But there was one whose blood that was 
uninfluenced by this world, unaffected by this world, untarnished, unspotted. And his name was Jesus Christ. His blood was precious blood. His blood was pure blood. And because of the purity of his blood, there was no other sacrifice that would do. As the writer of Hebrews describes the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, he says it this way in in chapter number 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. In other words, the entire Old Testament sacrificial system did not... Let me be clear, did not provide the salvation of the Old Testament saints. We tend to be a little bit confused about this from, from time to time, believing that they, were, that they were saved by the sacrifices and we were saved by Jesus. No, not at all. It was merely a representation of that which was to come. The reason being that there is no blood of a bull or of a goat or of a lamb that had the purity required to make sacrifice for, for the sins of the world. Verse number two of that same chapter says, for then would they not have ceased to be offered? In other words, why would they not stop this offering if, if, they weren't, if, if those sacrifices weren't covering the blood of that nation, if they weren't providing salvation, why didn't they stop to be sacrificing? And here's why. Because that those worshippers once purged should have no more conscious of sin. In other words, it was a reminder. It was a reminder of their sin. Verse number 3, but in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. But the very next verse, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away sins. It is not possible There is only one to whom it is possible. And his name is Jesus Christ. And it is only possible through his blood. Do you realize that because of the purity required to cleanse you and I from our sins, nothing else will do. That's why it is an affront and an offense to God to think that if you can sprinkle a baby with holy water, that that baby is now saved. No, friends, that water won't do just like the blood of those animals won't do. The only thing it'll do is the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, it is an offense to God to think that the baptismal waters can save our souls. Oh, you go into those baptismal waters without receiving Christ by, um, by grace through faith. And then all you're doing is going down a, a dry center and coming up a wet center. And nothing else has changed. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. And the only way to apply that blood is to call upon the name of the Lord by faith. Believing that he will forgive you of your sins. Cleanse you from unrighteousness by his grace. 
And everybody listen up clear. If you've never done that, if you've never received him in that way, it doesn't matter what denomination you've been a part of. It doesn't matter what church you may have been a member of. It doesn't matter if you tithe, if you've been baptized, if you've been sprinkled, if you have been blessed. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It is only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that blood is only applied if you receive him by faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, that it is not of works, lest any man should boast. And everything outside of a faithful receiving is works. You see, his blood is precious. And his blood is pure. I'm going to give you these last two quickly. But pay so close attention because his blood, it's also beautiful because it was planned. It was planned. I want you to look very closely at what the Word of God tells us this morning. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, Verse number 19, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. And the Bible says in verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. This was God's plan all along. The blood of Jesus Christ was not plan B. It was plan A to redeem us from the very beginning. It wasn't like throughout the course of human history as sin came in the garden and as, as the Old Testament saints took part in those sacrifices that God desired, decided to, to shift and change the plan. No, from that before the very foundations of the earth, Christ was there as a lamb slain before the foundations of the earth for the sins of all the world. And if you are thinking that God just reacted in some way, you are mistaken for God. God's knowledge is past finding out. He knew the plan before the foundations were laid. He was there uh, before those foundations are laid. He will be the one that removes those foundations. And he has before ordained that we should walk in this, that we should understand this. It was foreordained before the foundation of the world that Christ would die for our sins. And how arrogant would we be to say that there is some other way why do we, do we debate about this? For the Bible is so clear. For even Jesus himself says, I am the way, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. This is the plan. Oh, but I love this glorious word as I see the beauty of the blood. Look with me in verse number 20. For verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. I love these next three words. But was Manifest. Manifest means shown, seen, demonstrated. Sometimes we have a difficult time demonstrating, showing our love. But God committeth his love 
toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Can you see it? You see, that's really what he's saying here. It was manifest in these days. He's talking about all those Old Testament saints who were looking for the Messiah, looking for that, that sinless lamb to come and die for their sins. And they, they never got to see it. No, by faith, believing, they're redeemed. Believing in that which is to come. But we have an incredible advantage because we can look right back and see it. We can see as they pierce his hands and feet. We can see as they raise that cross vertically. We can see as they drop the beam of it down into its socket. We can hear as he cries, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We can see as he declares, it is finished. And what is finished? The plan. The plan has been accomplished. All has been done. All is now well. For he has accomplished his purpose. And I, I love the glory of this. The beauty of his blood. Because it is precious. It is pure. It is planned. But get this. And this is perhaps my favorite one of, of all of these. Yes, you get extra. It's point number four today. It's personal. It's personal. Look at what it says at the close of verse number 20. It says that it was manifest. What was manifest in these last times. Everybody say these next two words together. For you. Who did Christ come and die for? Who is it that God loved? Who is it that Christ wanted to redeem? You, 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 you. For God was not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's not a sinner dirty enough. There is not someone who is so far away that they cannot be redeemed by him. His blood is beautiful because it's sufficient. It is powerful. It is precious. It is pure. It is planned. And it is personal. You know, as we, as we stood up here at the dedication of Lily, the, in her is a life eternal that is going to spend somewhere forever. Heaven or hell. And I'm comforted with the fact that Christ died for her. I love Daniel and Hannah, but being raised in their home will not save her. I love my mother and father, but being raised in their home didn't save me. And that's when I look to the personal blood of Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. My question for you reaches all the way back to verse number 18. For as much as ye know, 
continues that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. And I wonder if there's anyone here who in truth doesn't know. You're listening to my voice right now, but if your heart were to beat for the very last time right now, you do not know if you would be on your way to heaven. So how can I know? What are you trusting in? Because if it's anything other than this blood, it's not precious enough. It's not pure enough. It's not personal enough. It's not powerful. It can't do it. When was the blood applied? I remember the day that I, and I bowed my head and by faith received Jesus Christ as my Savior. That's why I could say, for as much as I know I was not redeemed by corruptible things, I was redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you know that? Do you know that about you? You see, that's the plan. Is that you receive forgiveness by accepting what Christ did on the cross. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And I beg you to search your hearts this morning. When did you receive that blood?